It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for being with me this morning. Not often we have a reversal in one week's time, but last week, you may recall, I talked about the USDA prohibiting the importation of harvested birds from Canada, putting a total ban. And I said that not only were Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl, but scientific groups across the country said to the USDA, what, what are you doing? There's no scientific evidence. Well, believe it or not, five days. I'd like to say it's because of the Great Outdoors show and you're getting involved, but I think it was a lot more than that. Um, it might have helped, though. Five days later, the, US Fish and, the USDA did a complete 180-degree reversal and said, of course, you can bring ducks and harvested birds back into the United States. If they've been processed, if they're frozen, if they're in a cooler, and if they comply with the migratory bird transportation standards, which means you must have a wing left on the bird. Absolutely unbelievable. However, it does show that when enough noise is made, people can, even bureaucrats, can react and they can react quickly. My guess is that members of Congress, through the power of Ducks Unlimited, became engaged, and they had heard plenty from their constituents about this. And my guess is that a few senators and congressmen contacted the USDA and said, why did you do this? And if you don't have justification that can pass scientific, uh, rigorous scientific questioning, then you better reverse this and you better reverse it now. I think that's exactly what happened. So it's a win. It's a win for conservation. It's a win for common sense. But it does beg the question, why did the USDA do this to begin with? And who at the USDA had the authority, United States Department of Agriculture, had the authority to put in place such a ban without having run it through the proper channels, without having involved the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The scientists at the Fish and Wildlife Service weren't consulted. They were not involved. So to me, it's yes, it's great that things were turned around quickly and that the USDA, with with extreme pressure, uh, reversed field within five days. But it is really troublesome that, someone in the USDA could do this by fiat and and not have run up the proper channels. I think that's the bigger question that we we probably ought to understand how this happened and and then make sure it cannot happen again. Uh, it certainly uh, was a an ill-advised without scientific backing uh, effort and it's supposed to be a scientific protocol decision. So once again, um, I guess we uh, we count it as a victory, but we kind of do need to know how this could occur in any event. Moving on from that, and we don't have a lot of victories, but moving on from that, I would love to talk for a moment 
about the Forest Service. Actually, it's going to be more for more than a moment because what is taking place in the American West is a tragedy. And many times on the show, I've talked about forest management. You, we've got massive forest fires that can happen in northern Wisconsin. We've got them in Minnesota. We've got them in Michigan. And then we skip across the Great Plains, and then we have them in the Inner Mountain and the West in proportions that few people have seen. And so my real question is, and this is something we're not going to solve today, but my real question is, who's in charge? Who, who sets the policy that leads to such devastation of natural resources, natural beauty, and quality of human life. That's really what what I would like to ask here, is why do we permit the U.S. Forest Service to impact the lives of literally millions of people in a negative way, and to do so without public input, and to do so, frankly, with with just complete impunity to the fact that, that they are causing hundreds of millions of dollars in lost economic value. They are causing a lifetime of landscape damage. They are killing untold numbers of birds and, and, game, and game that cannot outrun these fires. And the cost to human health, the quality of the air, has a big cost. So I think it's time that we began to peel back the onion and figure out why the Forest Service has a policy that enables all these things to occur with their wild, wildfire management, no, their wildfire lack of management in the American West and also, also in the upper Midwest. It's not just the American West. So as we've spoken about on this show for so long, forest management by the government in the American West is an abomination. Compare it to management of forests on private lands. And a recent example was there was a forest fire in Oregon, in Washington rather, and it it involved both public and private lands. A section of 80 plus thousand acres of private land was involved and less than 10% of it burned. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of acres of national forest land burned. The private sector does not allow its resources to be destroyed. The government doesn't seem to care. They seem to forget that these are our resources. So the fact that we've had now really 75 years of of just complete lack of management of our forests has led to this inferno, which we've been dealing with for the last dozen to 15, 20 years in the American West, of dead timber and timber that should have long ago uh, been burned in in a controlled burn way. So why is it that the Forest Service does not immediately put out every single fire that starts until they haven't planned a forest management plan that will stop these gargantuan fires from taking place at the beginning, to begin with. If we had a forest management plan that managed our public forests the way they should be managed, we wouldn't have these gargantuan fires. 
Instead, we let fires burn, and they burn hundreds of thousands of acres, and they close down economic activity, and they force people to leave, and they destroy fish and wildlife. It's wrong, and yet we have allowed, we, the citizens of America, have allowed the Forest Service to do this. And I, and I would offer it's time that we had a, a true discussion about how our forest should be managed, not by the Forest Service who sits there in Washington, D.C., or some office in Reno or Sacramento, but by the people who live in this part of the world. Recently, an area, one of the most beautiful areas in all the American West, near Stanley, Idaho, Redfish Lake, iconic for its beauty, Alturas Lake, Pettit Lake, Redfish Lake, has been under siege by a fire that so easily could have been put out in the first, very first days of its existence. Instead, the Forest Service let it burn, and it led to the complete closing of an area that is one of the most highly frequented recreation, outdoor recreation areas in the northern Rockies. And it led to an absolutely horrible quality of air in places like Sun Valley and Stanley. People had to leave. People are dealing with, with respiratory issues left over from COVID, and they can't even go outside. They're dealing with other respiratory issues. It's, it's absolutely incredible that, that we have a lot stood by and let the Forest Service have a policy that is, is so damaging without any recourse. And, and before I go to a break, a quick story, a private landowner tried to build a fire break so the fire on the public land wouldn't jump and come onto his private land. And he was stopped by a ranger who said that the tracks from his heavy equipment would damage the ground. If you went there now and you saw the damaged ground, it's scorched earth, you wouldn't recognize it. And it'll be, it'll be an absolute dead zone for years, much less the runoff going into the nearby Salmon River. It's, it, frankly, folks, it's really pathetic. And I think, it's, I think we really need to focus on this because the quality of life for tens of millions of people is being adversely affected when it doesn't have to be. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on The Great Outdoors Show. When I do, I'm going to talk a little about Yvonne Chouinard and Patagonia and what he did. And I'm also going to take you on a visit, if we have time, up into the far north. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'm going to talk about Yvonne Chouinard 
and Patagonia for a minute, because what took place this past week is truly extraordinary. And I want to talk about it in a context that that maybe others haven't. The fact that it, I often don't talk about things that are on the front page because you all are aware of them. I tend to dig in conservation and outdoor issues in areas where I think they're the things that are important, which is not being, which are not being covered. In this case, the media covered it because it was so astounding. So what I'd like to say for a second is, is this an example of where we might be headed? Yvonne Chouinard has been at the lead of of conservation efforts, his 1% for the world, for a long time. His Patagonia product, unbelievable. And he is saying that my ability to leave the world a better place is by giving my company to the world, provided it remains profitable and and, and, and well-managed. Uh, which may or may not happen. He He's the visionary. He built it. I'm sure he has a very capable team running it, but things change. So he, anyway, he has he's literally given his company, if you think about it this way, to the world and say, I would like the profits from my company to be used to make the world a better place. His focus happens to be climate change, but I think there's a much broader picture here. And that picture is along the lines of what can corporate America do to help improve the environment with some percentage of their profits, or what can individuals do to help improve the environment long term? And as you know, I'm, I, I am, I believe in the free market system. I believe in capitalism. I believe in all the things that make America great. And I just wonder, though, if we took an approach, and I'm not talking about climate change. I, I don't want to talk about what I consider the third rail issue. But if we took an approach that said, we have an opportunity to improve the quality of our water, to improve the quality of our air, our soils, to make America a better place to live. And as part of doing that, that was part of the corporate responsibility that all corporations should have. And I'm not talking here about thing education in cities or inner city issues and all the things that philanthropy is so involved in. I'm talking about a bigger picture. And there's a wonderful company um, in southern Wisconsin, Uline Corporation, which is a leader in the example of how corporate philanthropy can help make the world a better place from the point of view of conservation and natural resources. So much of our funding goes to solve problems, drug addiction, crime in the inner cities, whatever it could be, we, we spend billions of private sector money trying to solve these horrific issues. Would we have a profound impact if we tried, if we had some of that money spent on the quality of our environment? I think we might. And as someone who loves the outdoors and spends as much time in it as I possibly can, and I know, I know many of you do as well, it's the little things that go a long way. It's the boat ramp that needs to get fixed. It's the levee that's broken. It's the bike trail that's impassable. But it's also the soil erosion from excess runoff 
that enters our streams. It's the nitrogen loads. These things can all be fixed, and they can be fixed by a conscientious corporate mindset that says part of what we're going to do is we are going to make our world a better place to live in, make our natural world a better place to live in. And there are certainly companies that, that do this and, and do it very well. But, but as a whole, we're focused much more on urban issues than we are on landscape issues. So Yvonne Chouinard has done something remarkable. And whether you like his politics or not, that's not what this is about. This is about an individual making a statement that this is what he wants to have his legacy be. I think that there are lots of us and lots of corporations which are populated by employees and boards of directors who also would like to leave a legacy. And it's not just a legacy in being the best at what they do, whatever product or whatever it is their business is. It's a legacy for a quality of life. And coming back to what I talked about before the break, the Forest Service and the, and the absolutely terrible management of our national forests and the fires that are resulting in front page news and on the, and on the TV, I use front page news, you know, like we still read newspapers, front page on the Internet and all over cable and streaming and all these things. If we focused as a society on solving problems we can actually solve, we can actually solve our forest management problem, and we can actually, as a result of that, solve our wildfire problems. And as a result of that, improve the quality of human life, improve the health of humans that are living in these fire-ravaged areas and wildlife and fisheries, that is a solvable problem. And there are dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of examples about this on a national and local basis where we can solve these problems. I don't know that climate change, global warming is, is solvable, but I do know that other elements are solvable, and maybe we should focus on that. And Mr. Chenard's money is going to go to climate change. Well, maybe part of climate change, as he would view it, is the fact that our West is burning up in fires or that we've got other issues that if we tackled them, and again, I, I've said for years on this show, I am not going to be a, a person who gets pigeonholed one way or the other on the climate issue. I simply try to advance the, 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 the topic and let you make up your own minds. You're all plenty smart, smarter than me. So in this case, what if we all came together around the idea, let's make this better locally and nationally with problems we can solve. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, I will be coming to you from the northern reaches of Manitoba when I'll talk a little bit about something else that happened 40 years ago. Thanks for your comments on the show last week in which I began describing my journey from northern Manitoba to the Gulf of Mexico, and I said from time to time I'll talk about it. Forty years ago, I found myself in a marsh in northern Manitoba. Next week, I'll talk about that. Thanks for being with me. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America. 720 WGN.